0: be glorified not only in our lives today but every day of the week be glorified let us not just worship but let us be worship to you in everything that we do and everything that we say be glorified in our lives God we pray in Jesus' name praise God come on let's give him a praise this morning Praise God and you might be seated in the presence of the Lord today. So good to have each of you here in the house of the Lord on this morning just to celebrate his goodness and his grace. It's good to um, be back with you today and thank uh, God for Elder Rich and uh, Pastor CT and Dad for taking care of services here in the sanctuary while we were gone and uh, we've uh, been made a big loop and went all the way into the midwest and around preaching this uh, past uh, 10 days and uh, god has blessed us tremendously and uh, bodies are a little tired but god's good and the spirit is good and uh, we thank god for the results his kingdom is expanding amen praise god and so we thank god for that I want to go and uh, at the risk of, um, you know, some of the most complicated messages to preach or to talk from is those who, that have been preached a lot. And uh, sometimes whenever a message has been preached a good bit, people, as soon as you tell them where to turn, they turn you off, uh, believing that we know everything there is to know about it. But uh, how many believe that God's word really is inexhaustible? that uh it, it he can make it what we need for the moment in which we're in and uh so today with that being said i want to go to luke's gospel chapter 15 and uh, i don't know if the guys have the niv or not i always use the new king james uh, but I- i'm on to um, with this story being so well known i'm going to uh, just relate to the niv today mm-hmm. But I want to talk to you this morning on the many times when this has been preached, it has been preached about the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son. But I want to talk to you today about two lost sons. Because I believe today that as we look at these scriptures, we will find that both of them need saving. I mean, no rules are good. They, they create boundaries for us, but they are rules are no substitute for relationship. Right. Rules are good, but they are no substitute for relationship. And here's why. First, when rules are the foundation of any relationship, the relationship becomes selfish and we only follow the rules for the payoff, not because we care about the person's heart, but because we want something from them. Second, we condition ourselves to think that the relationship only exists because of the rules. And if I don't follow the rules, then Renee will not love me. This is especially true in our faith. Rules say try harder, but relationship says trust more rules tells you about god but relationship means you know god and so people who follow rules constantly wonder if god loves them or not because it's based on how good i have been today have i followed the rules have i kept the rules and if i have not kept the rules then we believe that god today does not love us but how many understand God's not schizophrenic? There is nothing that you can do to make God love you more than he does right now. And there is nothing you will ever do that will cause God not to love you. He has an agape love. He has an everlasting love. Amen. And see, when we're, we're, we look, when we're bound by rules then we look for the edge of God's boundaries how far can I go and still be all right how far can I how far can I go out on this limb and doing this thing and God still love me but you see when we're in a relationship uh, we begin to realize that it's not about how far we can go away but it's how close we can become People who have a relationship know that they are loved for who they are and not what they have done. People in a relationship love, look for ways to love God. Show their expression of gratitude toward Him. Prayer is discovered, God's agenda. Not praying our own. And I'm convinced that most people never share Christ's love because they're too busy trying to earn it. And most of us are so mindful of the rules that we miss the relationship that we should be having with our Heavenly Father. Now, let's look here in Luke chapter 15 and verse number 1. Now the tax collector and sinners were all together gathered around to hear Jesus but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered This man welcomes sinners and eats with them Have you ever considered how disappointed that reaction like that must have been to Jesus He formed formed them He watched them grow. He must have been so excited as they began to walk in the issues of faith. But these guys that knew God, knew God better than anyone, had spent more time with God than anyone, from uh, some views loved God more. And yet these are the people that constantly opposed him. Some point along the journey, they determined that following rules was the only thing that mattered to God. Their drift was rooted in an attempt to rule their own way into the matters, the things that matter to God. A sort of, if if I will, then he will. They believed so much in a set of rules that they put all hope in this framework and not in God himself. Rules led to death of their relationship with God. Then they began to hold others to the same rules. How I many know? whenever we go by rules, we live by rules, then we judge others by the rules we put upon ourselves. They're not holy because they're not doing this. They're not saved because they're not doing that. And we put all of these rules that we have placed upon ourselves, we begin to impose them upon other people and begin to judge them according to the rules that we are keeping. But what we require of ourselves uh, to get to God, then we impose those upon others and say that's the only way they can get to God. But Luke chapter 15, the only recorded time that Jesus ever told three parables in a row. This particular day Jesus was so upset over the discussions of the religious leaders were having about who matters to God based on the rules that they followed. He said to himself in effect that I'm going to clear this up once and for all. And he said, listen up guys, I'm not going to tell you one, I'm not going to tell you two, but I'm going to tell you three parables that is going to embed this into your mind so that you will understand that life is not about rules it is about a relationship with me and so he goes on in verse three then jesus told this parable suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and lost one of them does he leave the ninety and nine in the one open country and go after the sheep one sheep that that until he finds it and when he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found the lost sheep. And I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and lost one. Does she light the lamp, sweep the house, search it carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is more rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents." Jesus begins sharing this principle for everyone to remember these principles are important. That this is the anchor, this is the bedrock that, that we uh, build our foundation of salvation upon. And he begins and in, in, in his story becomes more complex. God prioritizes lost things. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, the lost thing uh, holds value because the coin, the coin was lost. It doesn't mean because it is lost, it does not have value. If it was a gold coin, it, it still held the same value that it did when the lady was holding it in her hand as it did when she did not know where it is. And somewhere along the way, we have come to a place that we devalue people just because they are lost. Amen. We think of them as not valuable because they have never come to Christ. But in God's eyes, it does not matter if they're lost or if they're a part of the household of faith. They still hold value. He still desires them. He still wants them to be a part of a relationship with him. When we look, we see that God celebrates when he finds a thing. He said all of heaven began to rejoice over this one that was found. Amen. You see, when a lost things can't help themselves... When a sheep is lost, it's not like a dog. It might not just, you know, find its way back to the house. When a sheep is lost, it is truly lost. It does not know how to get back to where it came from. And so it needs a shepherd to come and to get it and to pick it up and to carry it back to the place from where it came. The coin had no way of finding its way back. Every one of these things has no way of finding themselves they, 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 they even though they have value they're lost and they need somebody to come and rescue them if they knew what to do they would do it but they don't they're lost they don't have the ability and the scripture refers to us when we as people are lost, that we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. Dead people have no way of resurrecting themselves. They have no way of getting back to the Father. Somebody has to go get them. Now, having understood these principles, Jesus continues in verse 11. And he says, Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons. The parable of the prodigal son is perhaps the best known story or one of the best known stories in scripture that Jesus ever told. Some scholars said that it was the greatest story that was ever written. As Jesus began the story, the stakes have been raised. He talks to them about a lost sheep. And you can write a lost sheep off. You can lose a coin and you can replace it, but not sons. Sheep wander off, coins roll away, but sons are responsible for their choices. How does God deal with lost people? Well, let's look. Verse 12, the younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. When you look at the Hebrew estate planning, it is not perplexed at all. You, you, whenever the patriarch simply divides his estate among his living sons, the first or the oldest son will always receive a double portion by demanding that this. Young younger son would come and demand his inheritance it essentially said that I divorced myself from the family. It says that in, in other words that as far as I am concerned my father is already dead. What brings this son to do something like this? Like many people we have believed that we must live by rules you eventually grow worn from trying to be perfect when you're always following rules a life built on rules is a life of frustration it's a life that ultimately is going to fall apart and you're going, and the younger son decided that I cannot deal with this anymore. And he wants to cash in and leave and never considered the relationship of the father. Yeah. It was only about uh, what he was going to get and never about a relationship with his father. How could you ever look at your father that, that supplies for you, takes care of you? I know that everyone doesn't have a, fa- a, a godly father example before you, but how could you ever look at someone that has provided for you, given you everything that you need, and look at him and say, I wish you were dead? Only so that I can get what's coming to me. His relationship with his father was not built upon having a relationship, but built upon having rules. An acceptable response from his father would have been for him to reduce his inheritance, to publicly beat him, to publicly shame him. But that's not what the father did. The father provided mercy for him. This man willingly transferred two-thirds of everything that he had. His whole estate went to his older son. And then he takes the other that is remaining and he sells it off so that he can give cash to his younger son so that he can go and do what he desires to do. In this culture, the family would have actually had a funeral for this boy. There would be a ceremony symbolizing that he is dead to their family. Rules have led this family to a funeral. In verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off into a far country and squandered it on wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a... a, a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. And he longed for the to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When you understand culture of the day, and keep in mind the rules of the Pharisees. We see that Jesus could not have picture of the prodigal in any more of a, a dredgerish manner than finding him feeding the pigs. First of all, in his selfish way, he asked for the share of his inheritance It would have been uh, unheard of, especially for a younger son, to ask for his inheritance before his father's passing. Second, he took it all and left. The custom was for the children to take care of the aging parents. But he didn't just ask for his inheritance. He took his inheritance and left and left his father to himself. Third, he spent his entire inheritance in a short time. His father had taken a lifetime to accumulate it, and now it takes him a short time to work through it or run through it. But Jesus took it and and a step further than that. Because he went and he said that even though the money has run out, that wasn't enough. A famine has hit. And he did not did the most disrespectful thing. He goes and he hires himself out as a pig slopper. Right? Taking care of the pigs. And the young young men's sinful ways brought him to a place that nothing was left in him that could motivate him to believe that his father would ever forgive him. Yeah. Come on. Pharisees would have interpreted this as you got what you it was coming to you. Yes. They would have interpreted it that this is the hand of God that is bringing judgment upon you. Now you've spent everything, there's a famine, you're in a pig pen, and you got what you deserved. But let me, let me show you something. As he returns, what happens in verse 17 when he came to his senses? I mean, knows sometimes we all got to come to ourselves. Sometimes we got to come to our senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father's house and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you, and no longer worthy to be called your servant. Make me, or ma- called your son, make me as one of your hired servants. Now, watch this. Make no mistake. This is not an act of repentance. This is another act of trying to keep the rules. He knows that he is not able to return as a son. But as rules say, you can be a servant, you can be a slave now. But the father, in verse 20, so he got up and went to his father's. Father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, against earth. No longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, quick, quick, bring a best robe and put on him put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let's have a feast and a celebrate. For this son of mine which was dead is alive again, and he was lost, is found. So they began to celebrate. The father sees him afar off, and this story indicates that the boy's father made it a habit of looking for him. Not only was he had in a habit of looking for him, but he knew the direction from which he was going to be coming. Amen. The father's love is patient. He has, was willing to restore his son no matter when he returned. He did not set a law or a rule to say if he has been gone for six months, if he comes back in a year. But he says, as soon as he comes back to this house, I'm going to restore him back to sonship. Glory to God. Think about how he probably longed to talk to this younger son. Have you ever sat and watched people in a mall or in in a public place and just think about what God would want to say to them? See somebody that's obviously under great stress and pressure and think, what would God say to them right now? see somebody that is dealing with issues that lack and not enough and you, you see the stress you see the war in families as they struggle and they fight with one another what what would father god want to say to them I, I i understand that i'm a little strange and i like to say unique but i sit when renee's shopping and i go to the mall and i watch these people as they pass by and wonder what it is that they do they have a relationship or do they just know rules do they love God do they love their father are they in love with him or are they angry with him are they with him or are they estranged from him the whole time that that he's walking back the son is considering the rules of the house. He was thinking how his, he could talk his father into taking him back, never thinking that he, the, the father considered having a relationship with him to be his son. The father is so eager today to express his love to us. Jesus made this clear and he said but while he was still a long ways off his father saw him and felt compassion toward him and he began to run to where he is. Do you realize that that God is more eager to reestablish a relationship with you than he is worried about the rules and the regulations of man? We look and we think when we have done wrong, when we have sinned, when we have come short or even run off from the love of God. We, we have this picture of God standing there with a smirk on his face saying, oh yeah, I told you so. No, that's not the love of the father. The love of the father runs and embraces the son that's been estranged and brings him back into relationship. in New Testament times one of the things that the dignitaries did not do is run you didn't run for nothing if you was a father if you was a patriarch it, you never ran in public because it was humiliating for you to you being a patriarch or you being a elder statesman for you to have to run for anything But whenever the son was coming, the Bible said the father saw him and ran. He was willing to become a spectacle so that his son would not be a spectacle. He was willing to go and say to him, you came this far by yourself, but you won't have to come back into the house by yourself. I will not allow you to be a spectacle or to be humiliated, but I'll run to where you are and I will bring you in. You see, the Father God is still running to people today. You may be afar, you may be estranged, you may be a distance from God, you may have left the house, but you see, you may not even have relationship with him today, but he's not standing with a smirk he's standing with eyes wide open looking and seeking to and fro saying come to me and when he sees you making that step back toward him he always runs to where you are you never come alone but his spirit will draw you and bring you into his house If it wasn't enough for him hiking up his robe and running to meet his son, the Bible said that before the, the son could get into this dissertation of how he could help him and how he could just be a slave or a servant at his house, the Bible said that not only did he run to him, but the Bible said that the father started kissing all over him. He kissed him in public so that everyone would know I'm not ashamed of my son. I'm not embarrassed of him because this is not about rules. This is about a relationship and he's my son. He said, give the best robe. The best robe was the father's robe. <laughs> that means he had to put on something less so that his son could have the best robe. But it covered him with honor. This means that the father is in something less so that his son that was lost can walk in honor and in dignity. He said, Put a ring on his finger. This ring bore the family crest. It, it was uh, not just merely a token of authority, but it was the signa that gave this lost son authorized authority to do business on behalf of the entire family. Now, reminds you, he just went out and squandered everything that his father had worked all of his life for. Rules would have said, you need to come in the house and prove yourself. Rules would have said, if you learn how to handle money, we'll give you a little bit of responsibility. But the father's love said, you're my son right now. I want to tell you when you come to Christ, it isn't you uh, metamorphosing into a relationship with God, but he accepts you as you are. He changes those things of the sinful nature and the attitude in which you have, but he embraces you and he loves you right where you are. Amen. He said, Put shoes on his feet. The servants had no shoes. That's the way you could tell from the family and the servants. The family wore shoes, the servants did not. The father wanted everyone to see his son, not as a slave, but as a son. And he said, I'm not going to allow you to walk around in humiliation and an embarrassment, but I am going to take you in. I'm going to put a ring on your hand. I'm going to put a robe on your back i'm going to put shoes on your feet and everybody is going to know that you are my son yeah. and then he said kill the fatted calf Fatted calf was reserved for dignitaries that would pass through it was only for very special occasions. Most meals during that day did not include meat. It was an expensive delicacy. It was something most desired. And most often, uh, uh, even in some, some celebrations they have, it would be a, 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 a goat or it would be a lamb But the fatted calf was the most expensive of all because they kept it fat all the time in case the dignitary would pass by and they would need to have a celebration. But on this day, the Bible says that he said, throw a party and he said, I want you to kill the fatted calf. Why? Because relationship leads to celebration relationship leads to celebration rules leads to a funeral but relationship leads to a celebration the father wasn't hiding the redemption he didn't kill a goat he killed the fatty calf the banquet is all about rewarding what we what what should be repeated and so because that what the, the prodigal in this parable, what the father did, and now what the son has done, and they come together. God says by this celebration, He's putting His approval on it, and says this is what should be repeated in our lives. Our relationship ought to be bringing people to the Father, and when they come to the Father, we don't uh, we don't address them as second best. We don't address them as somebody that's astray and lost. We address them as brother and sister. We address them as son and daughter because Jesus has paid the price. But what about his son's sin? What about all the money that he has wasted? What about all the embarrassment that he has caused the family? Those were not the father's concerns. He had one thing on his mind and one thing only. And that was a relationship has been restored and it's time to celebrate. God has dealt with your sin. It's no longer time for his focus to be on your sin. Your focus on his, what he focuses on. And what he focuses on is that we have a relationship with him. God's love and forgiveness and pardon and restoration is for everything that we have done wrong. It doesn't matter who you are or what you have done. You see, God has already paid the price for it. Do we really believe that? Or do we just believe that God came for good people? You see, the Bible didn't say he came to seek and to save good people. He said he came to seek and to save those who are lost. The younger brother knew that his father's house, there was abundance of food to spare, but he also discovered that there is grace to spare. And it was that grace that the Father showed him that was more than enough to bring him this time not into a ruse, but into a relationship. There is no evil that the Father's love cannot pardon, that cannot cover. There is no sin so great that his grace and his love cannot set you free from. it doesn't matter regardless of the rules you have broken you have not stretched God beyond his limit of grace his love knows no limits and until we receive this kind of love we will never be able to share this kind of love with somebody else now quickly let me tell you about the older son verse 25 meanwhile the Older son was in a field and when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And so he called one of his servants and asked him, what's going on? And he said, your brother has come. And he replied, your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Most readings of the parable are con- concentrated or concentrated upon the flight or the leaving of the younger son. This misses the real message of this story because it's just part of the story. But when you look here, it's because they are, these are two brothers. And as we see, both value rules above relationship. This is not a story of the prodigal son. This is a story of two lost sons. When a celebration was planned, the eldest, oldest son was the one that was responsible to host and invite the guest. But instead, as guests are arriving, stay, he stays outside. His father is a, was, uh, was there. He was, he was ashamed of his prodigal brother. And so he, his father has to go out and plead with him. Which translates, when he, the scripture says plead, it is the same Greek, uh, Greek word that is used that, that, that talks about the Holy Spirit pleading with us to come to salvation he pleads because by not play, pay, playing the role of a celebration he ensures that he's going to miss the celebration it's now clear in this story that the older son is lost inside the house just as much as the younger son is lost on the outside of the house Just because you stay a night in a garage does not make you a car. And just because you come to church does not mean you're in relationship with Father God. We can be as lost as the one that's running in the world today. Because we are running with rules and regulations. And we feel like somehow we'll be accepted if we come to church on Sunday. If we do the right things. If we do this and we do that, he'll love me more. No, he loves you today, friend. And it doesn't matter uh, what you've done. Yes, we, uh, we have already established there has to be boundaries. There has to be rules. But they're not just so we can keep them and live according to a religious system. But we have a relationship with Father God. Yes. Amen. When I married Renee, the rules said that I don't go out dating anyone else. I don't have relationship with nobody else, no other woman. But I don't do that. So I don't not do that so that she don't get mad at me. I don't want to because I love her. Because I have a relationship with her. And neither do I come to church so that somehow I hope God will love me. That somehow God will, will, if I do this, this, and this, he'll care more for me. No, friend, I do it because I love him. I do it because we have a relationship. And we need to understand today that he loves us just as we are. He says, could you take me back as an employee? Could you take me back as a servant? In verse 29, but he answered his father, look, all these years I've been a slaving for you. This is the older son and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. The gauge of any relationship is the language used. And the older brother begins by reciting the rules. No matter how far the younger son is gone, this son is your son. He does not say, my brother came home. He said, your son has come home. For us, he said, I followed all your rules. I've done everything you've said to do. It was more about the rules than it was a relationship. Can you see that? The older son's concern for following the rules sheds this light on a deeper issue, and that is his own estrangement from his father. He didn't leave the house, but he was estranged from his father in the house. He didn't serve and obey his father out of love, but he served and obeyed his father for what he stood to gain. From keeping the rules, he tried to reduce the father-son relationship to a system of rewards and exchange for the rules by following them. But consequently, his attitude put him on a level of employment rather than a son. When we position ourselves to be an employee, we lose the inheritance of a son. The older son could have slaughtered a calf anytime he wanted to because the entire herd belonged to him. He had everything that he needed because the inherit everything that he had was his inheritance. But how many know actions speak louder than words? But when this son of yours who has squandered your property on prostitutes comes home you kill the fatted calf and my son the father said you are always with me and everything I have is yours but we had had to celebrate and be glad because your brother of yours was dead and is alive again he was lost and is found At that moment, the son's actions spoke louder than his words about his love for his father. The brother knew the location, he knew the pain of his lost brother the whole time, but he did nothing to help him return home. This is where I want to stop and pastor for a moment today and simply say to you that are in the household of faith today that it is our responsibility to show those who have gone astray, those who are broken, those who are lost, the way back to the Father's house. We are to embrace them. We are to show love. We are show the same kindness that the father showed to the younger son. We are to show that kind of love and mercy and grace to those that are behind us. Even though the older brother is more mature and, and, and with the father longer, he ultimately felt that the father's house was all about him. The benefits of the house were all about him and became entitlements and gratitude instead of gratitude. And so now he thinks that everything that he has got, he's got because he's kept these rules. Not understanding everything he's got is because his father paid the price for it. That his father has made the way for it. And I want to tell you that in the end, our righteousness is as filthy rags. Thank God for servants. Thank God for people that show up every Sunday, every Wednesday to serve in the kingdom of God. Come early and stay to make sure that we encounter and experience the presence of God. But I want to tell you if you do it a moment out of work and you see it as I've got to do this to be a reward then stop it, sit down because that's not what it's about. We've got to serve out of our relationship that we love Father God and there is a prodigal out there. There's a hurting out there. There's somebody lost out there and we need to embrace them and and reinstate them into the Father's house and show his love to them. His actions confirmed how far his heart was away from the Father. What if our hearts for the Father was weighed on our actions? What would we come up with? I mean, Let me say it this way. If if our love was, people looked at us and we judged us and our love for God by our actions, how would we measure up? How would, particularly when we have abilities, how we use our abilities, our gifts, our talents, to see sons come home. Notice that the father plays a particular role. He does not go find the son, but rather he looks constantly with full, fully prepared to show mercy, kindness, and to celebrate the return of his lost son. Many people think it's God's role to find them but it's not it's our role to find them have you ever heard people say i wish god would just get a hold of them let me tell you god's not going to get a hold of them it's your job to get a hold of them embrace them with the love of the father show them the kindness of the father show them the mercy of the father and I promise you they'll want to come to the father's house Jamie come today and just play something soft I'll just need you today I think but if you'll just come I want to read you this story I read in a book a while back This man, I'm going to read you right from it. It says, I was on staff busy doing these uh, things that church staff members do. I was at a movie on Saturday night and ran into Carlos. I knew him from my hometown. He was lost, We lost touch over the years. I had heard the kind of life that he had fallen into. We spoke for a few moments, and I could tell that he was hurting He wasn't breaking down, but when you are around people enough, you can tell when they are bothered. I thought to myself, I need to get home, prepare for tomorrow's service, but that I would soon reach out to him and see how I could help. The next day, I met every action. I followed every rule in order to have a great service i went to life group of the guys playing flag football when i returned to my car i had a few missed calls local pastor from my hometown had called and asked me to return his call i did and in the parking lot i learned that carlos had been killed that morning in a bike accident two days later i attended his funeral As I stood in the back of the church, I couldn't help but to think about Carlos and I running into each other and how that I had focused more on my list than his life. That was clear that the father had invited me to a celebration, but I chose a funeral. How many, Carlos, do we pass by every day? When I preach to you about worship, I preach to you that we are to be people that create opportunities for man to experience God. We are the temple. We are the place for man to encounter God. counter him how many Carloses do we pass every day at work how many live right near us in our neighborhoods how many times has God set up an appointment for us to be able to be a part of a celebration but they go into eternity lost and undone without God and instead of going to a celebration We go to a funeral. I say that to say this to you, to awaken inside of you, that we must invite people to Jesus. Because we're not promised tomorrow. We're not promised another opportunity. We're not promised another chance only by God's grace and his mercy does he ever beckon to anyone more than one time because that's all that's ever been promised to us but because of his grace and his mercy he continues to beckon and to draw and he said let the spirit say come that's the spirit of God he said let the bride say come And whenever the spirit is beckoning, and when you and I invite and minister to them, they will be drawn to the father, not out of rules, but out of a relationship that they know the love of the father. Don't you want everybody that you know to know that love? Is there anyone that's been so wicked and you hate so badly that you would want them to to not know how to get to the Father? I don't believe that it's about hating most of the time. I think it's about us neglecting our responsibility. Because after all, we're saved we're in the father's house we know his love his grace his mercy but what about that one who doesn't what about the ones we walk by every day never give them an invitation to come into this house never give them an invitation to salvation you don't you don't have to necessarily bring them here to get saved you can do that wherever you are but this is a great opportunity to invite them to come in and hear the gospel that their lives can be changed it's not about our rules it's about a relationship that'll change your life forever it's it's not that I cannot sin it's that I do not want to sin it's about his love how could you walk out? How could you rebel against the love of the Father? Maybe you're here today and you've drawn cold and indifferent. You see, it's interesting to me that this story doesn't say at the end of chapter 15, it doesn't have no ending, it doesn't say the end. Why? Because Jesus expected everyone who read it to recognize themselves in this story and respond appropriately. How will you respond today? Maybe you've gone astray from him. I tell you today, his arms are wide open. He's loving and he wants to embrace you. Maybe... There's bitterness in your heart. Maybe there's things in your life that you need to line up. You love God. You're in his house. But there's things that's separating you. It's not out of a relationship, but it's out of rules and regulations. But you want to renew that relationship today. Would you stand with me, please? for just a moment is there anyone in here today to say Pastor Brian you know what I'm away from God or maybe I'm just going by the rules but I want a relationship with the Father today maybe you've gone astray maybe you're cold and indifferent in your relationship but you say I want to renew that covenant with the Father today is there anyone anyone in this place hallelujah God we bless you I mean, he say you know what pastor I realize today I thank God for his grace and his mercy but I'm not doing everything that I can to reach out I'm not embracing those who are hurting I've walked by Carlos's every day times in my life and I want God to give me the grace to speak and show my, the love of the father to them God bless you Yes, as there others today. Say, so yes, I need God's grace and his help. God bless you. Yes, yes. I believe God honors our sincerity. He honors our true heart. He can't do nothing with us if we just caught up in ourselves. But when we say, yeah, God, I can do better than this. I can show others the way. I can help a Carlos because I don't want to go to a funeral. I want to go to a celebration. Father, I pray today in this solemn moment, I thank you for all kinds of ways that you speak to us, you help us, you touch us. But today in this solemn moment, God, when we reflect upon ourselves and our, not our rules, but upon our relationship. I just pray today, Father, that you would touch each and every heart and each and every life that is here today. Let us be embraced so greatly with your love, your mercy, and your kindness, that, God, that we would reflect and we would exemplify your grace, your goodness, and your mercy to those around about us. Father, I pray for those who raise their hands today. I pray for courage. I ask you, God, that you would give us courage god to show the kind of grace and kindness that you've shown toward us let it be reflected in us and minister to others giving them hope and purpose wherever they may be at we pray father that we would not look at the prodigal as a lost something that has no value but let us look at that lost person as a person who has great value that needs to find their way to the father Turn us all into evangelists. Turn us all into evangelists, God. Let us realize that it's not the pastor's job, it's not God's job, but it's all of our job to reach out to the hurting and show the love of the Father that they'll desire to be a part of the Father's house. I pray this in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, I pray if there's one here today, I really sense, God, there's some people here today that are astray, that have gone a distance away, but I pray today, God, that you would embrace them with your love. God, just right where they're at today, they can call on your name and say, Jesus, save me and know that you are there and ever present help in the time of our need. God, I thank you today that lives will be changed for your glory and your honor. Jesus' wonderful name. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Aren't you thankful for the Father today? Let's give Him a praise this morning. Why don't we turn every opportunity into witnessing? Why don't we turn every opportunity, not miss a chance, to tell others about the love of Jesus and what He's done for our lives, Amen. We've made it so difficult when the reality is all we got to do is tell them what God's done for us. And how many know you can't mess that up? God's been good to you. Share the goodness of God wherever you go. I love.